Hello and welcome to this very special podcast brought to you by the team at Sagentia Innovation. In this podcast, we celebrate, we explore and we get to understand all things innovation, smart thinking and future leadership in business. I'm glad you could join us and thank you for being there. My name is Tom Idle and I'm going to be your host here. Now, from these podcasts, we want you, our audience, to walk away with a much better understanding of new business ideas and concepts and to gain insight and knowledge that you didn't have before. And we want you to be inspired by the people that you meet and the stories you hear on the show so that you can go back into your own businesses and do things better and smarter. Now, each episode, we'll jump into a brand new subject and I'll be meeting people with some of the brightest brains, greatest ideas and exciting new ways of thinking about and solving the common challenges we all face in business. You ready? Let's do it. Products are only viable now if they are sustainable. So there isn't just viability anymore. Sustainable is the viability. We're putting these issues at the centre of, of, of all our product developments. Inclusivity, sustainability, trust, and making sure that, that but for every product, not just niche products, which are like the green products or the sustainable products, but for every product development we do, we take these factors into account. You know, now over, over 50% of people will actively choose a product because of its um, sustainability attributes. Um, and then the marriage of, of things like convenience, premiumness and sustainability attributes is, is such a sweet spot. Do you want to be associated with a brand that you trust because the, the products that they or services that they offer you have real meaning for you um, and for the people around you? So that's a, that's a good goal is to, is to ascribe meaning to products when you're tr- trying to develop them. Only last year did Band-Aid introduce other coloured sticky plasters. And that's extraordinary, if you think about it. Only last year. So, you know, we, we think these issues have been around for ages, but there's a world of work still to do. You can be cynical about sustainability and greenwash, and you can be cynical about inclusivity, but these are not going away. These are irreversible trends and... So the brands that really take advantage of these trends will be the ones that are successful. Any brand who's thinking, crikey, we need to respond to this, there's masses of opportunity to respond to it. Now, this time on the podcast, we're honing in on the all-important consumer and what their changing demands and desires for sustainability, for inclusivity, for trust means for your business. A series of factors from social media through to the power of brand have really shifted consumer preferences and buying habits. And businesses must respond if they are to compete and stay relevant and succeed. The good news is this podcast is going to tell you how you can do exactly that by exploring how to build factors such as sustainability into the way you develop products now and in the future. Stay tuned. Now, there's no two ways about it. Business is interested in sustainability. Just five years ago, corporate responsibility was more likely to be a subject tucked away inside the back pages of annual shareholder reports. Now, being a responsible business is centre stage. 
at the very heart of corporate strategies. Now, there are many reasons for this, not least a requirement to fulfil increasingly stringent legislation to deal with greenhouse gas emissions, waste, energy efficiency. But it's also a response to changing consumer demands. More people want the brands they spend their money with to be trustworthy, inclusive, sustainable. And consumers want these key themes to emanate the products and services they buy. Now, this time on the podcast, we will unpick all of the societal and environmental issues that have really shifted consumer thinking in recent years and seen the rise of the so-called responsible consumer, because this in turn is driving responsible innovation. Now, I was privileged this time to sit in a room with two of Sagentia Innovation's brilliant product developers to find out how they are working to create amazing products and services for the new generation, not by way of building a new process but by using well-established best practice and experience. I was at Sagenta Innovation HQ in Cambridge to meet Duncan Smith, the company's managing partner for consumer, and his colleague Matt Hurd, VP for consumer. I kicked off our chat by getting to know them both a bit better. So yeah, Duncan, Matt, uh, it's good to be here and back in your workplace, um, given all the restrictions lately of, of COVID. Duncan, I mean, what, what do you do for Sagenta Innovation? So I'm managing partner for consumer, which means I'm responsible for our business with consumer brands worldwide. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time making sure that our clients have got access to all the skills from around the group and that we're looking after them and, and leading the way in terms of... Uh, the kinds of issues they care about and managing the team. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. They're a very good group to work with. What about you, Matt? Yeah, so similarly to Duncan, I I work with some of the sort of world's leading brands and I get to work with teams of mathematicians and um, engineers and designers, people that understand um, human behaviour mm-hmm. and just get to bring them together and try and break down challenges and, and solve them and find what are the, the real needs of, of people, which is really hard, but a lot of fun. Great. Matt's being modest. He's super creative. That's one of the, the things he brings to the team is, is, a, is creativity to, to, to balance the, um, the science that we have in the teams. Mm. And fairly new to the business, but what were you doing before? So I'm an electronic engineer by background, actually audio. I started out in manufacturing for audio equipment, but then I moved into consultancy and really enjoyed it because the the variety is just incredible. You know, you get to see clients at doing their hardest projects that are the most challenging, but also have the most potential upside for their business and also the benefit for the consumers. And so we get to see that many, many times a year. So so that's the brilliant thing about working for an organisation like this. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're in a product company, that moment only happens every couple of years. Yeah, sure. So it's great fun. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. Um, grew grew up in that business, learned to do business in the US and in Asia, which was fantastic experience um, and also vital for understanding how, how consumers think in different parts of the world as well. Yeah. Um, and then I landed here and really looking to, um, I suppose... In the afternoon of my career, uh, I don't want to nap. I want to, uh, I want to be waking up and doing something lively. And, and in particular, um, relevant to this conversation today, I'm really keen t- to, to influence consumer product development. So we're doing things that actually really benefit the world. And something, I want to leave a legacy of, of good, good products um, in my career. 
Yeah. And and I think it's not just uh, it's not just people in their twenties um, who think that way. And um, there's some of us with grey hair who also really want to make sure that we we see a, a real benefit from our legacies. Yeah, absolutely. So if Duncan's in the afternoon of his career, Matt, you're around lunchtime, or I'd say lunchtime. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's such an important time to really think about what we're bringing into the world and what we're what we're making and and what impact that will have on on people. Uh, I think I've I've always I've always been fascinated by uh, the physical things that we have uh, and use. I remember as a child being almost shocked and and surprised how you know toys or objects or tools could mean so much more to you than just their use. Mm. Um, you know, they could help you reflect on um, an element of yourself or remind you of a treasured memory or, or someone in your life. Um, and I always thought that was amazing and always wanted to work on, on those types of products. Mm. And, and, you know, sometimes they are super functional. Sometimes they manage to touch on some of your emotional needs as well. And now and again, they can be life-changing. And on this podcast, I often ask the guests whether they take their work home with them. For you guys, it must be really hard not to because you're surrounded by consumer products at, at home. I mean, do you just not switch off? I mean, um, I don't think it's possible to switch off from thinking about consumer products. I mean, uh, you you learn, a rigor you learn is that you're you're not the consumer. It's really important mm. to not judge every product by whether you like it or not because that's not the point. We'll probably talk about that later, but but you don't switch off. I mean, mm. especially I've been working in a in international business for the last, with Americans a lot and people in Asia and, and the time zones don't help um, from in terms of switching off. Um, Zoom doesn't help. But actually, you know, we're always, we're always thinking about it. I'm always looking at the way people use products and, and thinking about how that could be better. Especially yeah. when you're in a new scenario. I don't know about you, Matt, but I find if I'm in a new place, I I'd immediately start looking at the way people are using things. I'm stuck with that, I'm afraid, from the years <laughs> of... Um, of developing products. So. Yeah. What sort of things? What, what sort of catches your eye? Oh, you? well, you're in an airport and you're watching the peop- the way people are interacting with the, the check-in desks yeah. or the, or, you know, things like new, things that they're not expecting to see, like where, where there used to be a person and now there's a screen. Yeah. That, I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Well, I, I, have, a, I have a young baby at home. Uh, she's seven months old and that, that kind of forces you to... To shift, I guess. Do you change your role as soon as you walk through the door at home? But I think it also, it, it's so fascinating to watch um, a new person explore the world for the first time. And I think you almost go back through the loop of rediscovering everything um, and, and suddenly seeing all these, like Duncan was saying, all these problems uh, with, the, with the world around you or how you've designed your home life and your world to suit mm. Two adults, and now you've got a child who will literally destroy it. Yeah, um, or destroy themselves, or destroy okay. themselves. Yeah, and it's 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 really um, it's really fun. It's really inspiring to see mm. uh, someone else start to shape their own world and and start to explore um, and want to just eat everything mm. uh, that you own. But I think it's uh, I think in the context of this talk as well, I think it it brings it. Uh, really brings it home mm. how important it is to think about some of the bigger um, societal issues and think about okay what's the future going to be like for this person yeah um, what can we do now what can we put in place to make a difference 
or mm. because it's you become very aware that it's, it's that generation that is going to really start to um, experience some of the problems that we're just seeing some of the early signs of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember really vividly when I was at school, a, a friend of mine, she she was actually in a wheelchair and she was asked by another child and in that way that only children can do in a very sort of blunt, direct way, do you hate it? Is it awful being in the chair? And I remember her saying, no, I love it. You know, look at all the things I can do. And I, I remember thinking that that's amazing. You know, there are, and there are teams of people out there that have constructed that and mm. thought about that and thought about how can, how can this person be empowered to do all the things they want to do in a different way, but how can that happen? I thought that's, that's the sort of thing that I want to work on. So mm. I think that's always been at the core, is saying I want to work on those meaningful projects um, and meaningful products. And I think the, the opportunities just pop up from many different places. Yeah. So I think there's never like one straight path to say, I'm going to go and work just on developing this. Mm. But I think you get inspired by... The, the problems and the challenges and, and seeing the results of those when you, you do solve them. Yeah. It's interesting you use the word meaning. Meaning is a really good way of putting it because I think of, I think of uh, longevity of products and having products that people use for a long time, don't want to throw away. And, and I guess that's the same thing. It's, it's things that are sticky. It's, it's products that you really want to keep using rather than, rather than you know, change to something else. And, and they are the ones that are meaningful for, for, to people. Um, definitely so that's, that's a good way of viewing it i think that overlaps with thinking about the the, the brand trust issue you want to, you want to be associated with a brand that you trust because the, the products that they or services that they offer you have real meaning for you um and for the people around you so that's a that's a good goal is to is to ascribe meaning to products when you're tr- trying to develop them it's quite a quite a big thing to get your head around but uh, obviously you need people like you in the room matt who've thought about it more than i have yeah, it's an interesting one, trust, isn't it? Because presumably the desire for more trust comes about because of mistrust of, of brands. And is that because brands are more able and to, to access consumers in a way that they weren't like 20 years ago through social media, through you know, other engagements? I think that's the, that's the way they can, they can build the trust beyond, like I said, kind of simple claims on packaging, which is what we all grew up with, mm. those of us that are older. Um, and now, and now, brands are able to engage in two-way conversations. L'Oreal um, last week, a couple of weeks ago, had a "Inside Our Products" hashtag on Instagram, and I follow them. Funnily enough, and they, it kept popping up, and they were they were asking for feedback on their ingredients from mm. their consumers. Now, that's that's fascinating because that's all about. I mean, you might think, well, that's just about you know them wanting to understand ingredients for that but actually it's about building trust it's about creating that two-way conversation and, mm. and that's the that's what social media can do okay so we've met duncan uh, an audiophile consultant in the afternoon of his career as he said and we've met matt a super creative brain fascinated by the consumer products that surround us and and how to make them better spurred on by his young baby at home Our conversation moved on and I wanted to know how the work of Duncan and Matt and the consumer team really dovetails with the rest of the organisation. 
businesses like us all look, or a lot of them look similar from the outside. And it's only when you get under the skin of it, you realise mm. quite what the strengths are. But I can tell you one of the strengths, the real strengths is that we combine real insight in in understanding the strategy, the background, the rest of the world, how the rest of the world um, matters when you're coming up with strategies for product development and service development. And that is really strong here. And I look at the, the way those people approach what they're doing and I'm, I'm really impressed. It's a level of it's a level of insight into strategy that I haven't I haven't come across um, in consultancy before. Mm. So that's really powerful. Plus the fact we've just got a load of really, really bright scientists. And I, I'm, you know, having just only arrived and, and not been in very often, I keep bumping into them in, at the coffee machine for the, for the first time. So but there are a lot of those, aren't there, Matt? Yeah, there are. I think there's always that buzz of people knowing that you need to look at things from different perspectives. Mm. And sometimes it's scientific. Sometimes it's about a business model change or, or more of a commercial change. And sometimes it's really about understanding the people that you're designing something for and it's where you bring those things together mm. which make a difference so I think even though when I joined and was intimidated by just how good some of these uh, physicists and mathematicians and chemists were um, from the understanding of people and, and cultures and how people interact with everyday things side that was the bit that that I could bring into the picture and I think there's a there's a nurturing of those different skills here Let's get into some of the, the nitty-gritty of what we're going to be talking about on this podcast. And we're going to take some time to talk about the, the kind of all-important consumer um, and how the needs and the desires and the thoughts and the kind of purchasing intent, purchasing practices are sort of changing um, uh, most recently. Um, Duncan, why don't you start? Tell me what you know about consumers in, in 2021. Obviously, you know, these have been very strange times in the last... 12 months for you know traditional sort of sure. brand retailer and consumer relationship but how do you see things right now as, as we're in 2021 oh well i mean it sounds obvious but the world's changed i mean even before 2020 uh, there was, was great change in the world in business and for the consumer and i think the three the three things are, are tied together so i remember looking at the um united nations sustainable development goals when they first came out five or so years ago mm. and they're really broad they cover um they cover not only environmental sustainability but economic sustainability equality many many issues and i remember looking at them and thinking well as business leaders how on earth are we supposed to mm. cope with all of that and deal with it in our business but actually businesses have really started to to put them into action in their strategy and go beyond just kind of corporate social responsibility is a tick box mm. and, and we're seeing that influence the strategy for product development in our clients um, in turn obviously consumers are influenced by what they read and see and especially in the last year with the consumption of news media mm. going up dramatically um, but at the same time people's trust in what they're reading going down and there's evidence to support the idea that consumers are valuing trust in brands um, as highly in some cases as conventional things like quality and cost. So I think consumer behaviour is changing as a result of all this societal change. Yep. And they care about environment, they care about inclusivity, um, and that is actually starting to influence their buying behaviour. Mm -hmm. But beyond just being more aware because they're digesting more news or whatever it might be, I mean, what's really driving this? Why? Why are consumers more interested in these issues? 
Uh, I think because they they genuinely care, and it's not just because of brand activism. It's not just because the brand they like are getting behind a specific cause. They they're looking at the world and thinking, I have lots of choices, and I can see them all because ubiquitous social media has has turned every brand into a lifestyle brand so so everyone's choosing brands based on how much they believe in what they're doing and how much they trust what they're doing yeah and and so so consumers have that choice and they are they're choosing the brands they trust yeah and i think these these big issues touch on both your sort of rational and your emotional values so i think you know you're when you're at home all the time um as as a consumer i think you suddenly become very aware um, of what you're using. You know, you're eating all your meals at home, you're consuming everything within your home environment, and it becomes very um, visual. You're seeing everything that comes in and out of your home, and I think that that makes you really think, okay, I need, this is my output into mm. the world. This is, this is really what, I'm, what impact I'm making. You can, you can shine a spotlight on, on almost everything now. And, and make it very visible, the problems that people are facing. Yeah. And so the combination of that and the fact that consumers have more choice and are choosing brands that they trust and that can show that they are doing something about these issues, mm-hmm. I think is that's why consumers are, are changing their behaviour. Yeah. And presumably brands know that their consumers are changing, have been changing for, for quite some time. It's, this is not new, is it? No, um, oh no, not at all. But I think it's much more prevalent. I mean, we're seeing that in the questions that clients come and ask us. Mm. So, so for example, um, we get asked a lot about efficacy and proving things and being able to trust them. So when you make a claim, you know, conventionally, if you've got a medical product, of course, you have to prove that it works and you have to prove the efficacy. Mm. But we're seeing that translated into all parts of claims. So when 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 we're designing a product and, and we have to make a claim for an important marketing feature, uh, it's becoming increasingly important that not only can you prove it like we would conventionally do by testing it in a lab mm. to say it's 10% better or whatever, but it's becoming increasingly important that you can communicate that benefit in a real way because yeah. a consumer's not just going to believe it if you say it's 10% better. You have to be able to say, and this is how we can demonstrate to that, that to you in your environment and explain it to you in a, in a very real way. And, and that's, that's the kind of question that we really weren't being asked five years ago. Mm. Um, it's, it's a real change. And, and so trust has become a kind of overarching issue for a lot of conversations. So, as Duncan says, people are much more interested in sustainability, inclusivity and trust. Matt makes an interesting point too, that COVID-19 and the fact everybody's been at home means these three things really have been touching on both our rational and emotional values more so than ever before. But where's the evidence that the new generation of consumers really cares about this stuff? It's a question I put to Matt. For many consumers, the first thing they're looking for when they're searching for a new product is is looking for those sustainability claims. And, you know, you're, you're seeing evidence that, you know, now I think it's about 50% of the weight of all packaging materials are being recycled. So that that's definitely moving in the right direction. Um, and, you, and you're seeing the statistics that are backing up that more, more people are recycling. But I think also people want something that's better. You know, it's not just about something that after you've used it is taken care of in, in, you know, a responsible way. People are looking for products that um, have other benefits 
mm. that you know bring out the other values that they have. So I think people not only want um, to make a difference themselves with their product choices, but they're looking for better products and they're sure. looking for new experiences. Yeah. Um, and and the marriage of of things like convenience, premiumness, and sustainability mm. attributes is is such a sweet spot. Yeah, and we're also seeing, and the other evidence that it's real is that the big big brands are responding. So, so recently Unilever announced that um, I think for their Dove brand, it might be in all their brands, they were going to stop using the word normal to describe skin. And uh, I posted this on LinkedIn and got a really interesting reaction. There was kind of a disgruntled section that said, well, how, how am I going to find my product if, if it's not called normal anymore? And of course, for everyone who, who identifies as normal, there's someone else who gets who gets alienated by the, that word. Yep. And so, and that's the point is, is everyone's got to make a difference. Every, every, every product should be, should be designed with those issues in mind. Yeah. And obviously sustainability, there are many companies like um, Colgate have, um, have committed to uh, eliminating non-recyclable, refillable mater- um, packaging materials by 2025. So it's great yeah. to see um, brands committing to the same kind of, of ambitious strategies. And, and it's showing, you know, they've got products already on the market that, that mm. reflect that. Yeah. yeah. But it, it feels like we're not quite at a point where we're mainstreaming this and there's kind of piecemeal activity going on by the big brands. And I wonder whether that's because there's still a bit of a gap between a consumer wanting to do something because they th- feel it's the right thing to do and actually the reality of what they end up doing. It's a chicken and egg. And as, as product developers, I see it as our responsibility to drive that change. That, that's what I want to do. I want us to be seen to be um, the people who are making these issues mainstream because yeah. we're, building, we're building the response to these issues into every development we do. Inclusivity, sustainability, trust, and making sure that that, but for every product, not just niche products, mm. which are like the green products or the sustainable products, but for every product development we do, we take these factors into account. Yeah, because actually taking into account factors including cost and quality, as well as those three you mentioned, that's the challenge, isn't it, for, for brands? Well, that's right. And that's why, um, that's why we've had a good look at how to build um, these societal issues into our, into our mainstream product developments, because there is no point just looking at them for niche products. So Duncan, you just published a, a new paper on, on what you term responsible consumer innovation. And I want you to just, just briefly tell me about that and specifically how you kind of build these societal themes into existing product innovation processes. Well, yeah, uh, the, the important thing is not to think you need a new process. There's a, there's a temptation to think, oh, with all these new things, you need to you need to have a completely new innovation process. And we think that that's flawed because you've, you've really got to build it into everything you're doing. So if, if we try and come up with a new process, people just won't use it. So we want all companies to feel like they can build these issues into their core process because we want to influence every product that's developed, not just the niche product. So it has to be built into the core process. So, mm. so we thought hard about this and, and, um, and took a, a very much an industry standard process to use as an example. So mm. IDEO have this lovely and well-established thing called design thinking that, that lots of people use or build similar things into their innovation processes. And what it does is, is it looks at three um, balancing themes, which are, is the product business case viable? Is the product desirable to its target consumer? Yeah. Um, and is the technology feasible? And if you can get 
a product which is feasible, desirable, and viable, yeah. then you have a sweet spot and you're going to have a successful product. Right. That's much easier to explain with a picture. But yeah, uh, sure. But it's balancing those three themes. And that's, that's industry standard. I mean, I've been using that approach for years, or variants of it. And I think most people in product development would recognize that yeah. you're always trying to build criteria for, for a good product that balance those three issues. You know, yeah. can, it, can it be, does it work? Can it be made? Will it make us money? And most importantly, will the consumer actually want to use it? And as engineers, we're good at compromising. So we love to, we love to balance different things. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that for a second and think, well, how can we, how can we add the societal themes to that? Yeah. There are kind of fairly obvious pairings. So, for example, if something's desirable, it should also be inclusive. Yeah. If something is feasible, it should also be trustworthy. And if something is viable... It should also be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So our approach is is not to invent a new process, but to pair up those criteria that we use for good innovation uh, with uh, where you have a kind of conventional thing like cost mm-hmm. and pair that up with a sustainability issue. So the only change we're suggesting is that you add in those those balancing criteria, but then you make sure you give them equal weight so you don't just kind of push it down the road. You, you focus on the sus- sustainability and the trustworthiness of the product uh, and the inclusivity as much as you do the others. Right, did you get that? So viable, desirable, feasible equals sweet spot equals successful product. Layer in sustainability, inclusivity, trustworthiness and giving them all equal weighting, and you have the ultimate product. But how do you achieve that equal weighting? What sort of people do you need to get into the room to ensure that, for example, inclusivity is considered to be just as important as desirability? Matt says that it all starts with gaining consumer insight to understand the problem that needs solving. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think, um, you know, as Duncan said, it's not about... It's not about reinventing it and actually a lot of what we currently do and and the strengths of that remain so it it always starts with insight um it we often find with our clients particularly with these larger challenges that it's not a lack of ideas that are the problem it's Mm. a it's a real understanding of the problem that so it all starts really with with understanding the people that that you're designing for and really that comes from doing your doing your homework at the start Mm. you know really starting to think well what is the culture of these the people that we're designing for what does a day in the life look like for them what are their their beliefs their rituals how could what we're thinking about fit in or in, enhance their life um so to, to give an example um we were working with a we were working with a client who was looking at uh, a technology to deter mosquitoes uh, in right. villages in, in developing countries and so they had a chemistry that they were applying to products um, which was a deterrent. And what the client had sort of very logically developed was these effectively these sheets that were loaded with the chemistry that were hung up around the village and, and in the villagers' homes yeah. um, to deter mosquitoes. Now, this failed. So this, this concept just didn't work. It wasn't adopted well. And it wasn't until we spoke to the villagers, watched, um, you know, 
how they conduct their lives, what their lifestyles look like, that we really started to find the problem. And the problem was these were, you know, just bland sheets. Um, and they were these sort of beacons reminding people of the problem, the daily problem that they have yeah, of yeah. malaria and it being very much in your face. And these things got in the way. They didn't really fit in in people's homes. So they were kind of pushed to one side. They certainly weren't replaced. They weren't replenished. So they stopped working. Yeah. Um, so instead, what, what we looked at um, was saying, well, how can we develop a solution that fits in and enhances these lifestyles mm. and these rituals of people? So actually what we started to understand was, well, what are the celebrations that take place in this village? How do people like to decorate for different events? What are the ceremonious rituals that take place in the home? Can we develop products that um, encompass that? So what we ended up creating was things like bunting for around the villages. So there was lots of celebrations. Um, so these chemistry-loaded buntings were put up everywhere because they were beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, and there were posters of, of events in the home that, pe- that again, used this chemistry and would be changed regularly because, obviously, new events come. People want to celebrate new things. Um, and it, it was that marriage of, again, understanding cultures and people yeah. with technology and doing that insight up front before you start coming up with the ideas. Because yeah, right. as you can see, you could get it so wrong. You'd say, okay, this is about surface area of a chemistry. Um, let's come we up need with, a big sheet. We need yeah. a big yeah. sheet. Let's yeah, come yeah. up with lots of ideas. But really what it was about was the science of delivery of that chemistry in a way that fits in with someone's lifestyle. And first, you really need to understand that lifestyle. Yeah. So it starts very much with that insight before we get in the room. Yeah, and so uh, so we're really just building on that best practice. What Matt's described is exactly what you know good product designers do. Mm. Um, and what we're suggesting is that you you have to add in these these balanced criteria. So so let's let's give you an example of the of the innovation workshop. Um, I'll use the ideation word, although Matt will probably tell me off for using it. But when you've, you know, the creative core of many product developments is this session where you get all the key stakeholders, marketing and R&D and um, consultants like us into a room. Yeah. Um, and you, you come up with a set of ideas that you really think are going to solve this unmet need. And you've done your homework, like Matt suggests. You've really understood what you're trying to achieve. You've built this set of criteria that cover issues like cost and feasibility yeah. and and you, you take those into the session so what we're suggesting is 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 very much based on that but adding these balanced criteria so as i said for every feasibility criteria you have you add in uh, can we prove it and can you trust that we've proven it yeah for every um, business criteria we add a sustainability criteria so that it's not just viable it's also sustainable and for every desirability criteria we add in an inclusivity criteria and and that's not you know just adding loads of criteria it's really um, just adding enough so that you mm. get that balance and then you equally weight them so that they are they're treated as seriously as the as the kind of conventional criteria and yeah. that way you're not breaking your process you're just you're just adding in extra and what's the hardest of those to kind of get right they're all hard which is why we thought hard about it um, to, to try and get the balance right. If we take sustainability, you can create simple criteria like must be made from plastic that can be refillable or yeah. recyclable. Uh, and that's good. Um, another option is to is to look at the whole life cycle. So there's obviously a, a 
a movement towards thinking about um, the whole life cycle of products, and that's important, and doing life cycle analysis and thinking about the circular economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a whole school of homework for that. The trick is to find something that brings it alive in the moment. So in our ideation session, you can't just sit back and go, hmm, let's think about the whole circular economy. So what you need yeah. to do, to Matt's point, is your homework. You have to yeah. work out which criteria to bring into that session that gives you the best measure of the sustainability for the product that brings it to life for the people in the room so it might not be the most all-encompassing criteria that covers the whole circular economy but it's the thing that people can get their heads around that really shows that you're you're being sustainable yeah and one nice thing i know that some of our clients have come to us saying they've done is um is link the uh the sustainability for a product to the sustainability goals for the organisation. So some of the right. companies who are really ahead in this field have got strong sustainability or ESG um, or CSR goals. Yep. Um, and they've managed to map that onto, onto a simple way for a product development to judge whether it's sustainable enough. Yep. Um, and it is usually to do with it being recyclable, refillable, reusable, um, or some other simple thing that people can get their heads around in a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they, are they quite intense sessions with, with clients? I suppose they can be. But, I mean, that's what I love about what you guys do. It's that challenging existing thinking in order to, to make a change to the status quo, which is really, really difficult. I guess the conversations are quite tough. They are, but I think the, there's, there's an environment there that is about building ideas and adding um, you know, to, to someone's ideas, even if it's a, a mm. wacky idea, there's usually some essence in there that's a, that's at the core of the problem. Um, yeah. And I think that's what's great about having different voices and different perspectives in there. You don't really know until you're in the thick of a workshop whether the best solution is going to be a design change, mm. a process change, um, or maybe even a, a complete business model change. And you need the the voices in the room to talk from a business model perspective a design a, a technology yeah. and i think that that's what makes it so immersive if you have people looking from so many different perspectives and i think to duncan's point about well how do you bring this into a workshop how do you make this tangible when you're thinking about not just the use of a product but the whole life cycle of it mm. really it it means you have to step back from a very focused view on how that product's going to be used and say okay mm. what are the key points and who are the key people that are going to interact this from the the first point that it's um, being developed to the the end of its its life. So in many ways, it's adding in and different stakeholders that are going to be impacted by that product. So the process of coming up with ideas, challenging from different perspectives, is the same, but you're looking at it from many different points in yeah. in the the journey of that product. So inclusivity is is also a, a tough challenge to get into this environment. And you know mm. you might think we're, we're too we're, we're two white men in Cambridge. Yeah. Who are we to talk about inclusivity? Um, but actually, that's the point. Everyone needs to think about inclusivity. Yeah. Everyone involved in product development needs to think about inclusivity for this to make a difference. The kind of base level um, criteria for, for making sure you're being inclusive is to make sure you include diversity in, the, in that team. So, yeah. And that's something we've, you know, that's best practice now um, to mm. make sure that um, you know, you have diverse voices in the room when you're when you're um, ideating. Sorry to use that word, Matt. Um, <laughs> but you know, we do do it very consciously, and and you can also, if you if you do it consciously, you can start to address issues of uh, of 
uh, unconscious bias in the process so you can mm. be more more thoughtful about how you're approaching a problem yeah. so i think you can go way beyond just including diverse voices in the room mm. and the idea of pair criteria works here as well so yeah, what so, do you mean by that well so to give a simple example um uh, back when i was a, a student um the classic example of a non-inclusive design was the was the right-handed scissors which yep. are completely optimized for the 90 percent of us myself included who are right-handed mm. and really awkward to use if you're if you're a left-handed person and so if we just take that simple example we could do a paired criteria which would be must be fantastic to use for right-handed people yep. but also must be quite usable for left-hand people yeah. So as, as designers of consumer products, we're always going to be focusing on a target market. It's what we're brought up to do. You, uh, your product has to be, um, has to be optimised for, for a target market. You can't be everything to you everyone, can't be everything right? everyone. Yeah. But you mustn't, mustn't be bad for the rest of the population. So, so I think the, the two steps we've taken to, to address this beyond just having diversity of thought in the room, mm. one is to pair those criteria. So you make sure that you're, you know, uh, your, your being good for left-handed folk is as important as criteria as being excellent for right-handed okay. folk. But you also put a champion in the room. So conventionally in, in these sessions, you often have a voice of the consumer and it's often the, the designer or the marketing person who's the voice of consumer and saying, oh, come on, guys, you've come yeah. up with a brilliant idea, but it's, you know, really? Um, and that voice of a consumer is very important. Yeah. Uh, you can also have a voice of the of the non-target consumer, who's who's to Matt's earlier point. You've done your research. You know you know what's good and bad uh, for the for the folk that you're trying to address, and you make sure that someone's coming into the room to represent the the non-target consumer and make sure that you have the balance. And I think by raising the consciousness of that as an issue mm. is one thing, and then by by making it a criteria that's as important as the desirability to the target group. Yeah, that's how you really make a difference. Some great examples there from Matt and Duncan on how great product designers always build their understanding and insight about consumers before they do anything else. But for every great product in existence, there are thousands of bad ones. I wanted the guys to explain to me why. You know, why does that happen? What happens when things go spectacularly wrong? I think it goes back to, to my belief that the idea is to solve a problem. Um, and not often the thing that's lacking. It's really understanding what's behind the problem. Mm. Um, and is that problem different for different people? Um, and different, not just different people using that product, but at different points in that product's life cycle. So as it's being made, as it's being delivered, where it goes after it's been used. So I think it's, it's very easy to focus very quickly on one aspect and dive into ideas and push those forward. And I think taking a step back and thinking, well, what what's the bigger picture here? Mm. What are the who are the other people we need to consider? What are the other elements? And if this product got into someone who isn't the target user's hands, would they be able to use it? Would they feel included um, as a as someone that, that could use that product? Yeah, and there's 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 lots of examples. Um, I was just listening to one of our other podcasts, the one on women's health, and there are lots of examples in, in women's health of products that are, are badly designed because they just haven't taken yeah. the, the real needs into account. And so there's plenty of examples there. Mm. And I, I, this is why we really think balance is important, this idea of balancing criteria so that you're, you're all the time thinking about um, the bigger picture as well as, as, well as the, the, the real kind of tight yeah. need for, of your target consumer. And yeah. we think that's the real way to avoid it. 
Okay. Um, are there any products out there that are a real bugbear for you guys? I mean, maybe take take a little bit of time to think about it. Are there any? You think, God, I mean, you talk about the, the sort of left-handed scissors, but is there anything else that you can think of? Um, I can think of one with a happy ending. So, again, at, at the risk of talking about inclusivity a lot, but I do think it's a really important topic. Um, only last year did Band-Aid introduce other coloured sticky plasters. That's right, yeah. And that's extraordinary, if you think about it. Only last year. So, you know, we, we think these issues have been around for ages, but there's a world of work still to do, yeah. you know. Um, some of these issues have been around for a long time, but the, the, we've got an awfully long way to go before mm. all of these issues become mainstream. Yeah, so I always write, like to sort of wrap up these conversations by looking into the future um, and what you've sort of laid out as an approach is, is, is incredibly compelling. But how hopeful are you that, that this type of innovation process that you're describing takes a hold, becomes the norm? Well, uh, we're talking about it because not because we want to uh, be involved in every product development in the world, but we want everyone who's involved in product development to be thinking about these things. And, and these are irreversible trends. You know, you can be cynical about sustainability and greenwash, and you can be cynical about inclusivity and think, well, I'm normal. But these are not going away. These are irreversible trends. And so the brands that really take advantage of these trends will be the ones that are successful. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. Mm. I mean, if I look at L'Oreal's website, the first thing you see is their their sustainability focus in the broadest sense. So yep. not just environmental, but economic and social. It's the first thing you see. They, these brands are taking it very seriously and they will be the ones that are successful. And um, But the world, you know, it's a big old world. There's plenty to play for. It's not like mm. they've won. You know, any brand who's thinking, crikey, we need to respond to this, there's masses of opportunity to respond to it. Mm. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm certainly um, excited by the idea of embedding it right at the start of any new product or, or business model development. I think that's the point where you can really get it right. You know, that's the point where you, if you've done your homework properly and you've really understood the problem and the, the, the aspects of it, you can design the difference into the product. I think that's so much more inspiring and, and the way we're going than mm. saying, uh, we've got this line of products out there. How can we be- make it a little bit more sustainable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still true that we, we get people saying that sustainability is an afterthought and that's just got to change and that's the point uh, you know it's it's always building it in at the start and it's always applying a balance between yeah. the short-term business need and the long-term consumer need and environmental need mm. i think with the pairing of viable and sus- sustainable in particular um one of the things i really like about that is it feels that there is a movement that products are only viable now if they are sustainable so there isn't just viability anymore it's sustainable is the viability yeah i think the same is true of the other two so i would like to think that a product can only be desirable if it's also inclusive and i would like to think that a product can only be um can only be feasible if its claims are trustworthy so not just proven you know not just that we can prove it in a lab but that we can explain to consumers that it's that we can be trusted as a result of making that claim i think they're all important and i think they're all part of the picture so there is so 
Will brands get left behind? I, don't, I hope not. They they should certainly not feel they've been left behind. It's like it's all to play for. Um, there's plenty plenty of opportunity. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found my chat with Duncan and Matt interesting, insightful, and above all else, useful. If you want to find out how the consumer team can help your business and to challenge you on the way you've always been doing things, be sure to get in touch with the Sagentia Innovation team today. Just head over to sagentiainnovation.com right now. Anyway, that's it from us. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast was produced by 37 and was presented, written and researched by me, Tom Idle. The editor and story producer was James White and the audio editing was done by Thomas Parker. A big special thank you to the team at Sagentia Innovation for having us, to Anna Perkins, to Duncan and Matt, who you just heard from, and to everybody else that helped out behind the scenes and supported from afar.